AstronomyCast, episode 701. Space science we look forward to in the next 700 episodes. Welcome to AstronomyCast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. With me, as always, is Dr. Pamela Gay, a senior scientist for the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I, I am doing well. I, I just had the realization that we will be well over the retirement age when we hit uh, episode 1400. Right. But somehow, given the current economy, we'll still be podcasting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll still be waiting for traditional media to finally give up the ghost. It's true. Uh, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And to think how young we were. I know. When we started. We were babies. Yeah. Early 30s, I guess. Yeah. And now the early 50s for me. <laughs> I turned 50 on Saturday. Oh, no, great. Okay, Tuesday. there you go. I turned 50 on oh, Tuesday. Right. Perfect. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. We will, we will both be now entering that uh, fifth decade. Yeah, yeah. That's what you do when you... That's what happens when you make 700 of a thing on a relatively weekly basis is you could just yeah. get old. It's... Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, last week, <laughs> we looked back at some of the ideas that science has changed its mind about. Then... We look forward into the future at some of the big ideas that astronomers are making progress in. What space science are we looking forward to? All right, Pamela, 700 episodes. Uh, I guess, are, are we going to predict with perfect accuracy all of the yeah. major science that will be discovered within the next 700 episodes, within the next roughly 15 years of our lives? No, but I'm hoping we might make predictions on at least the things that funding to solve ends up getting dedicated okay. to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is this chain, right, where you get the a mystery appears, scientists identify the mystery, scientists come together and meet and describe what kinds of things need to be built to help uncover the mystery. The thing gets built. The mystery gets solved. And also generates more mysteries. That is the that's the life cycle of this yeah, process. Yeah, yeah, uh, And so, I guess, what do you use to to target the to know what the astronomers, what mysteries the astronomers are hoping to solve? Well, I mean, at a, at a certain level, on the decade by decade, it's the decadal survey. We're now far enough into this decade that that. We have a survey, we have diverged from the survey, but we have not yet started on the next survey. So right. we're in a no man's land of getting to just guess what we're hoping comes next. And no one can go further than a decade out in a field where such weird, strange new stuff is regularly discovered. And that's part of what makes it exciting. So for, I guess, for people who aren't familiar with the decadal survey, what is it? Yeah. Uh, roughly every 10 years, the astronomical community and the planetary science community separately get together, form a whole variety of committees, and work to determine what are the most significant problems in our field today that we have the ability to make breakthroughs on. And it's this survey that is normally administered out of the National Academy of Sciences that is then used to 
if we're lucky, govern where funding is dedicated for the next 10 years, um, it's it's a way of basically prioritizing things. So we're looking to prioritize, for instance, figuring out what dark energy is. And this is where we see the Nancy Grace Roman telescope is is not going to be allowed to fall asunder. It shall be done because <laughs> right. this is how we get to dark energy and the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope. Um, it's, it's also part of where Mars just keeps staying in the priority list, but Venus made its way in there as well. Um, the outer planets made it in, but didn't get nearly enough love. They never do. Uh, so this is, this is our guiding documents on how not as one individual working as chief scientist or director of the NSF community, but as a profession, how do we figure out where to go next? All right, so let's talk about the the planetary stuff, like the stuff within the solar system first. What are the big scientific questions that astronomers are hoping to make progress on within the solar system? I think the biggest question that would make everybody happy is where does and has life existed in our solar system? <laughs> yes, please. And and this means more exploration of Titan, more exploration of Enceladus and Europa, more exploration of Mars. And Venus is at play as well. It's just wildly different and far more enigmatic. So we have these suites of worlds that we just don't understand nearly well enough where all these liquid so life requires three things a solvent uh an energy uh gradient and nutrients and titan has methane ethane as its solvent in triple point liquid solid uh vapor um then enceladus europa uh both have water uh, Mars previously had water, Venus previously had water, and currently has chaos. Um, and and so, so the question becomes, can we find life in some form existing on those three moons of gas giants? And can we find fossils on Mars? And can we figure out how to get to the surface of Venus and live there long enough to figure out anything? And what is being done to try to get answers to these questions? So we currently have the Europa Clipper that is being uh, constructed to go to Europa, do a series of imaging and uh, hopefully orbiting uh, successfully and maybe getting some samples of geysers that spew stuff into the air. We don't currently have anything on the books to go to Enceladus, but we do have Dragonfly that is slated to go to Titan. So that's two of the three moons. On Mars, we're working on gathering samples, and the Mars sample return mission has become the great vacuum that is starting to uh, eat all funding within NASA for planetary science. And uh, if successful, it will bring rocks back to Earth where our significantly larger and more energy-intensive laboratories can look for the stuff of life, including things like fossilized lipids, which is now something we have the ability to do. Um, and Venus, there are 
maybe three, definitely two missions slated to go there and uh, better explore its atmosphere and its surface through a myriad of different uh, technologies. Yeah, we're in a bit of a tricky time with the yeah. Mars sample return mission. Uh, it looks like it's going to cost more than anybody was expecting. And as we saw with James Webb, we don't like missions to eat all of the funding. And so right now it looks like they're going to go through more reviews and try to get a sense of, you know, how do they bring the costs down? Yeah. But, but half of the Mars sample return mission is already underway, which is Perseverance collecting right. all of the samples to be able to meet up with the Mars sample return mission and be able to deliver the samples home. Uh, the Chinese are planning their version of the Mars yeah. sample return mission. So even if NASA and ESA don't do it, we will see samples returned from Mars probably by 2030. And so hopefully, but, but it's not going to be as comprehensive a set. It's going to be whatever the lander and maybe a helicopter or two can gather up in the vicinity around the lander while Perseverance is taking a decade to stop and smell the roses, as it were, and you know grab samples from lots of really interesting different rocks and, and go from there. So um, do you think... Within the next 700 episodes, we'll have an answer to this question. Is there life elsewhere in the solar system? I really hope so. I I think there is the potential that if they're able to sufficiently grab stuff from the geysers, if we get really lucky, the microscope might be able to see something in the ices. Um, I think there's the potential to find fossils on Mars. Lord only knows what dragonfly will see on Titan. Mm -hmm. That is perhaps the most uh, open-ended question. And I just hope that uh, missions like Mars Sample Return don't eat so much funding that there's no scientists left to look at the data. Um, Because inevitably, whenever there are cost overruns, where it comes out of is in the science funding available to independent researchers. And without independent researchers, the field just shrinks. shrinks. You mentioned, you know, the hunt for life on Mars, on Europa, Titan, maybe. Um, But a lot of other work is going to be going into studying Venus. So what are the big scientific questions that we're trying to get answered about Venus? There are so many. Where to start? Uh, Venus is really an under-researched world because it is very mean to spacecraft, and it's not entirely easy to get to. Um, so, so there's everything from the great phosphine debacle that I'm not sure is going to end until we have a mission orbiting to say whether or not there's phosphine. There's the what is this black sooty stuff that we keep seeing in the atmosphere. There is the is there active volcanism today or not question. There is the what caused Venus to have a runaway greenhouse effect and there's always that back of the mind concern of, can that happen here? How do we avoid it? <laughs> right. Um, and, and so with Venus, it's really, what was the past environment? What catastrophe led it to be what it is today? And, and what is it today beneath all that cloud cover? And does anything live in that cloud cover? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pick a starting point. It's all- kind of exciting. 
Yeah, all good questions. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, those are kind of the big ones. But, I mean, there is a fleet of spacecraft headed towards the sun. There's big questions about the sun that are, we're hoping to have answered. What would you say is, like, the biggest question about the sun that we still don't really have an answer to? I mean, do we know why the corona is so hot yet? Is that like, is that I don't one? know. That depends on if you believe any of the papers. Honestly, though, I think there's no one scientific thing so much today as the ability to predict space weather. As, mm. as we launch more and more small sats and Leo sats for communications that we rely on into low Earth orbit, it's important that we know where the atmosphere is. There was already one entire batch of Starlinks that got consumed when our atmosphere was hit by uh, solar energy. It expanded out. Those satellites were suddenly under a lot more drag than they were prepared for, and no more batch of Starlinks. And yeah. there are plenty of Starlinks where those came from. But that's not true for a university project that launches as a CubeSat. It's not true for so many other things. And folks are trying really hard to figure out how to predict solar behaviors so we can move things ahead of time, so we can lock things down into safe mode ahead of time. And all these things are going to be necessary uh, to prevent a, a Leo catastrophe because every time our atmosphere moves, it moves all the satellites, which makes it harder to predict their locations, which me makes it easier for them to collide. And we need space weather. And like one of the greatest threats that we face as a civilization that has gone and connected all of our modern devices together into these giant electrical grids, we've launched satellites, is to be able to handle weather, space weather. And yeah, yeah. Uh, the more we can understand the sun, the more we can get some kind of notice. Yeah. And that is like this prediction system is the thing that's being built. And like right now we get like 30 minutes notice. Maybe we can get up to an hour's notice. Like that is the goal is to get more and more notice so that you can yeah. calmly and quietly disconnect parts of the network, shift things offline, wait for the solar storm to pass, put everything back together. Transfer orbits in some cases. Yeah, and not have to be like putting you know, I guess, being driven back to the Stone Age in the worst possible right. scenario. And even just sometimes delaying launches could be useful. We yeah. just need that five days warning. Yeah, five days. Oh, can you imagine? To dream. All right, we're going to talk about the Milky Way next, but first it's time for another break. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Some of you may remember when I did the Slacker Astronomy podcast in the early 2000s. Our tagline for me, for you, for the voices in our heads was our open acknowledgement that some of us have brains that just like to yell at us about all the things we should do, all the things we could have done differently. And by our, I mean my, my brain likes to shout. If you want to quiet the voices in your head and find real peace, it can really help to talk through your thoughts while getting therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. The mobile-friendly website will have you fill out a brief questionnaire and then pair you with someone who will match your needs. And if they aren't a perfect fit, you can easily change therapists at any time. 
everything is online. And BetterHelp is convenient, flexible, and can work with any schedule, even an astronomer's schedule like mine. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com astronomy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash astronomy. And we're back. All right, so let's expand our knowledge and let's look out into the Milky Way. What are the big scientific questions that we're going to be trying to answer? Well, let me guess. Exoplanets? <laughs> yeah, so I, I think it's a one-two punch of exoplanets will make one side of the community happy and better understanding the supermassive black hole in the region around it will make the rest of the community happy. Uh, so on the exoplanets front, I think the 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 two things are going to again be is there life out there where are there atmospheres where are there habitable worlds um but there's also like weird questions like why the heck are we not finding planets between about 1.5 and 2.5 mm. earth masses in size we do not understand planet formation the way we would like to understand planet formation i i the more systems we see, the more spectroscopy we get, the more likely we are to both understand solar system formation and figure out where, if anywhere, are there the possibilities of life and potentially civilizations. I mean, it is really amazing how we are now in the 5,500-ish range in exoplanets known with thousands and thousands more candidates that are still being studied. So we probably know of more than 10,000 exoplanets at this point. And think back to like 1995 when they found the first exoplanet. The first planet around a normal star. Orbiting around a sun-like star, yes, not around a neutron star, a pulsar. (laughs) Well, so the pulsar one makes us 30 years in, and that's just kind of cool. Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) Um, But it's funny that you always have to say that. But yes, fine. Um, but but, and yet here we are, ten thousand planets, and and the, I mean the real revolution now is examining their atmospheres. Taking you know originally this work was done with Spitzer on a couple of planets. You had a yeah. bit of some ground based observatories, but really it's James Webb is has been looking at a lot of planets so far, and it's been able to find carbon dioxide, methane. Uh, silicon oxide. It's been able to find uh, sulfur dioxide, uh, just all of these chemicals, water vapor, yeah. all these chemicals in the atmospheres of planets. And it's moving us towards, eventually we will have, we will know about the atmospheres of thousands of exoplanets. And then we'll get into this realm where, where we don't think about planets as one thing. You know, think about how we feel about trees, Right. Like we don't we don't name each tree and and remember that time when we found one more tree. We think about (laughs) trees in aggregate. And that's what we're getting with exoplanets. We're going to be thinking about exoplanets in aggregate. And and there will always be the special planets, the way there are special trees like Methuselah and that one American chestnut that they refuse to reveal the position of for very good reasons. There will always be special trees and special planets. But we do really need to understand the health of the forest. And yeah. that's where we're yeah, at. Yeah, but I would say we don't name them. There's no campaign to name every single tree. No. 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 
No, and there, and so when you think about planets, like I know it's mind bending to think that an entire world, yeah, just anonymous. There's a bunch of them. Who cares? We've got lots. Yeah. So yeah. All right. So we talked about exoplanets, and I mean, obviously, like like the thing that we hope to find in our next 700 episodes is that Earth-sized world orbiting around a sun-like star in the habitable zone. Yeah. What is our best shot at doing that, at finding that? Oh, man. So right now, missions are working on, on complex, basically, find it with something like TESS that's using the transient method, and then do follow-up observations with... Uh, JWST or I just blanked on the European mission. It begins with the letter C. Oh, Cheops is Cheops, I mean, Cheops is yeah. Cheops is more about categorizing it's a the. It's for categorizing the transit and not yeah. the atmosphere. But yeah, yeah, an aerial which launches in twenty twenty eight is going to do the atmospheres. And and through this combination of categorizing what the orbit is, it gives us the ability to then say, these are the ones we need to follow up more. And as we build up the data, hopefully we're going to start to figure out if you want to find rocky planets, you look in these kinds of areas in the galaxy. Um, The best we can do right now is assume it's going to be someplace like where we are and around. Yeah, it's we just have to find and look. It's it's like panning for gold, except we're panning for planets. Just keep panning until you get there. I mean, the tragedy is that the the machine that would have done it was Kepler. And yeah. Kepler wasn't able to fulfill its mission. We need a new Kepler. We need a new Kepler. And then and there's sort of, there's the Earth-based version of that, yeah. which is going to be the extremely large telescope, which should theoretically be able to distinguish Earth-sized world orbiting around sun-like stars, maybe. Um, but the one that's really going to do it is the Habitable Worlds Observatory. And this is going to be the follow-on to JWST. You know, this is what LUVOIR was after you yeah. took HabEx and mashed together with LUVOIR and you get this, the HWO. Yeah, and the Extremely Large Telescope is having funding issues as well. So, as always, money is the thing that keeps mm-hmm. getting in the way of these telescopes. But, but like, we can't guarantee that anybody will find this world yeah. within yeah, that next true. 700 episodes. Yeah. Which is kind of sad, but the, but just like the machine. So the closest you're going to get is with the Nancy Grace Roman telescope, which launches in 27 and it will have the ability to distinguish Jupiter sized worlds at Jupiter's orbits around sun like stars. Yeah. But you need two orders of magnitude more powerful a um, uh, sort of ability to distinguish between the star and its planet before you get to Earth-sized worlds, sun-like star. And that's the plan with the Habitable Worlds Observatory. So unfortunately, we're not there yet. All right. And you talked about the center of the Milky Way. 
Yes. So, so we are now starting to find massive star forming regions in the core that we didn't know about. And in fact, 20 years ago, we would have been taught there isn't that kind of star formation. There right. are these blobs of gassy mush that are getting destroyed as they orbit. We want to understand that process. Uh, it's, there's just details of, uh, we are overly curious about black holes as human beings. It's just who we are. And the idea that our galaxy's black hole periodically eats things and we can see things orbiting it. And do we get to see any of them get eaten? That would be cool. Do we get to see any of them get completely disrupted? That would be cool. Can we backtrace the history of the galaxy and figure out what got destroyed when it blew these x-ray bubbles in the past. There's there's a whole lot of just, we, we want to know because it's cool because mm-hmm. there's a black hole and it's really yeah. big and it's nearby. Um, and sometimes that's enough to justify science. All right. Let's think about the entire universe now, out beyond the galaxy. What are the big scientific questions that astronomers are hoping to answer? Uh, what mixture of only dark matter or dark matter and mond is required to explain everything we see at a distance? Right. Uh, what the heck is dark energy and is it actually necessary and does it predate the formation of black holes and what the F with these two things that make up the majority of our universe and refuse to be directly detected? Um, and then tied in with that because you have to understand dark energy and dark matter to get at the rate at which structures form is how do we explain the rate at which structures seem to form Mm -hmm. um so essentially the story of how do you get from the formation of the cosmic microwave background to our galaxy as it is today and the large-scale structure around us as it is today, how do you connect those two points through history? We know what happens. The when of it is where we're currently foiled and figuring out the timeline of structure formation. Yeah, that that mm-hmm. it's all one piece and it's a messy puzzle to put it together and we are putting together an invisible puzzle. Right. And and I think that, you know, the James Webb's job, main job, is to see those building blocks of galaxies yeah. coming together early on in the universe. And we've got exquisite analysis of the cosmic microwave background radiation, but you've got this gap in between those two observations, this age of reionization, the dark ages. Yeah. And right now, there are new telescopes coming online, radio telescopes, that are going to attempt to probe that time in the universe and fill that gap. And so hopefully we will then have a contiguous understanding of the universe from the cosmic microwave background through the dark ages, through the age of reionization, through that the first galaxies coming together and into the yeah. modern evolution of the universe that we see today. The square kilometer array will come online in our next 700 episodes, one would yeah. hope. Yeah, They like started planning it before we started this show. That's true. Um, and, and the cool thing is we don't even know what it's going to discover that we aren't 
creative enough to dream of. Yeah. And knowing that the square kilometer array is coming online, knowing that there's going to be the the Nancy Grace Roman that has essentially the size of Hubble and modern technology mounted on it, we're going to start seeing things that we just hadn't imagined. And then LSST is going to give us spatial and time coverage that that like Gaia has hinted at what is possible as it did its astrometry and so much science fell out along the way. LSST is going to take what Gaia has been accomplishing and make Gaia look lazy, except for astrometry. And that's just amazing to dream about. And of course, after Gaia comes Gaia near. Yes. So they're already planning the next phase of Gaia, which will be Gaia near infrared, which is going to be amazing. So stay tuned. I mean, so many cool <laughs> missions coming out. And then, you know, but unfortunately, some of these won't answer the questions until our next 700 episodes. So when we're in the 1400 to 2100 stretch, that's, you know, that's when we'll get the next, we'll do the show again in 700 episodes. I promise. So as, as you look ahead toward the future, what is the one result that you most want to see occur while we're still kicking around to report on it? Well, I mean, I want to see the analysis of of a planet from the habitable worlds observatory. I think that would be that would be great. Although I think I do also think it's going to be probably disappointing. Like a, like it will be inconclusive. They'll say we found oxygen and ozone and methane and all this in an atmosphere, and and scientists will go, yeah, you could get that with rocks. So so I don't know. I don't know. I think. The one that will be really interesting and very meaningful was, and it, it, this will come very quickly, is when you get Nancy Grace Roman working with Vera Rubin, working with Euclid, which is this European Space Agency mission. Those three are going to categorize and characterize dark matter and dark energy to yeah. the nth degree. And we will have yeah. a lot of unsounding questions. And so if we don't get an answer, we will at least understand the problem so much better. And I think that will be inevitable and very meaningful and worthwhile to our understanding of our place in the cosmos. Because it is weird that we are in this time that we don't understand 90% of the cosmos. Like we can't even detect it. Like we don't even know what it is. So that's weird. (laughs) Thanks, Pamela. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you to all of you out there who make our show possible. And, um, I just want to remind you, if you're looking for a tax deduction at the end of the year, we're here as a nonprofit. I had someone reach out last week. Uh, Fred, if you're out there anywhere, thank you. Uh, Finding out just what it takes to avoid tax penalties and help us be more successful. Um, This week, though, I'm just going to thank all of the folks that give through Patreon. And I'd like to thank Jordan Young, Stephen Veit, uh, Jeanette Wink, Boy Andre Levsvall, uh, Segi Kemmler, Andrew Palestra, Ed, Boogie Nett, Brian Cagle, David Trogue, Gerhard Schweitzer, David, Buzz Parsec, Zero Chill, Laura Kettleson, Robert Plasma, Joe Holstein, Richard Drum, Les Howard, Adam Annis Brown, Gordon Dewis, Alexa 
Texas Wanderer M101, Felix Goot, Kim Barron, Astro Sets, William Andrews, Gold, and Roland Vormerdam. Thank you all so very much. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. Astronomy Cast is a joint product of Universe Today and the Planetary Science Institute. Astronomy Cast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. So love it, share it, and remix it. But please credit it to our hosts, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can get more information on today's show topic on our website, astronomycast.com. This episode was brought to you thanks to our generous patrons on Patreon. If you want to help keep this show going, please consider joining our community at patreon.com slash astronomycast. Not only do you help us pay our producers a fair wage, you will also get special access to content right in your inbox and invites to online events. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined our Patreon community already. Anyways, keep looking up. This has been Astronomy Cast. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 